0: So, remember, remember the 5th of November That's today Gunpowder treason and plot I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot In fact, I know of no reason why it should not only never be forgot but why it shouldn't be reenacted every year So it should be forgot and not forgot. No, I know of no reason why it should never be forgot, is the mm-hmm. refrain. Mm-hmm. But I also know of no reason why it should not be reenacted every year, which it's not. Okay, go on. Uh, it should be reenacted. I, it sounds like
1: there's too many double negatives in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't get my head around that.
0: Well, the 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 the, this, the, the little poem is... yeah.
1: I uh, I know of no reason why it should never ever be forgot. So it should ought to be remembered. That's what I, I
0: agree that it should be remembered. Yeah. But I would add that it should be reenacted.
1: Right. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
0: I reenacted. Know no, okay. I know of no reason why a gunpowder treason should never should ever should not not be reenacted.
1: Okay, that's a very cryptic way of saying. I I won't even No, I mean I'm not I'm just saying
0: I'm just saying that in the UK I mean it's kind of out of fashion but it's, it's out of fashion now, but for a long time in the UK it was you know it wasn't Halloween it was November the fifth was the mm. was that uh, was what kids got up to on around uh, the evenings of around uh, that evening Bonfire round, night right called it bonfire night yeah um, and it was you would um, they'd make up an effigy of um, of Guy fox a dummy put it and put it in a wheelbarrow and wheeled around, asking to how ha- people's houses, saying penny for the guy, trying to get money and you know, get a penny from people. And then they would, the, 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 this procession would culminate in a at a bonfire where they would burn the effigy of Guy okay,
1: How come they ask for a penny for the guy? Just because they wanted money, right? Okay, that's kind of the Don't British collect. equivalent of trick or treating.
0: Yeah, well, except it obviously predates. Yes, that by by that, by, by, by by a long Unless
1: time. there are older roots of that tradition. Well, but the
0: modern Halloween mm-hmm. tradition is like you know what, a few decades old, right? A uh, handful of decades old. But so um, it
1: was so ingrained in Englishers, especially that yeah, 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 that Guy Fawkes was a peculiar person that he ought to be. His attempted assassination or destruction of Parliament every. Ought to be remembered every year. Yeah, a
0: day of infamy. Four, I think four hundred, five
1: hundred years. No, yeah, four hundred thirty years, sixteen oh five.
0: On which, well, I mean, it's in the rhyme, you know. November, remember, remember the fifth of November. Mm-hmm. Gunpowder, treason, and plot. Mm-hmm. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. To remember, yeah, yeah. to remind people that this was a day of an infamous day when they tried to blow up Parliament, uh, and they were obviously Catholics. Yeah, but
1: that's that's. What I'm getting at, what they're remembering, the the thing that became a cultural, ingrained, everyone knows it kind of thing, like Santa Claus, is that there was a guy, they remember him as a terrorist, but no one ever mentioned what he was trying to do. Mm. He was trying to restore a Catholic monarchy. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And alter, under conditions of so of, pres- of oppression is of religion, the, the
1: so Protestant status quo has re- re- remained in place. Yeah. To, since that near attempt, and yeah. the Protestants yes. want everyone to remember that. Yes, but the Protestants. I mean, the, the English, established Anglican, the, whatever. The status quo, and um, since then, yeah. the, the, but they never they never articulate that. That's why they're doing it. It's just become one of those things. Everyone knows Guy Fox, but they never know what it is politically that. Was yeah. this close to happening? Most was the it. restoration of them yeah. of what was normal for hundreds of years before that? Yeah, and so it was, they were—they are upholding a Protestant extremist yeah. takeover of their country.
0: Yes, but that's good, which is ma- now ma- majority, not extremist, but it's just the but norm. The ma- but majority are Protestants, so
1: they are now. Yeah,
0: they weren't then. But also, it was in the the because the regime. <laughs> the attempt to blow up parliament. <laughs> the attempt to blow up a parliament was by Catholic, you know. "Quote unquote terrorists who uh, were, uh, you know, acting like you said to try and restore a Catholic monarchy in, in in England, but also in the the main main point, I think, was in the context of the suppression of the practice of Catholicism in England, you know, because of Protestant um, dominance. So, I mean, it's a big story, obviously, but Protestant yeah. Catholic Wars, religion, in in, yeah. in, in in the UK civil civil war, and England was a. Uh, Was fought over that, but anyway, um, I'm just saying. I just like to. I just. I hear that. You know, I've heard. I know that. I've watched Reef of Vendetta a lot of times. I think I might have known the phrase beforehand, anyway. Uh, And I just always thought that you should add that. uh, You know, yeah, you shouldn't forget the the Gunpowder Plot. You should reenact it every fucking year. I mean, symbolically, obviously, just so, instead, okay, of, instead of...
1: that's that's the part you didn't say, well, yeah, symbolically, right? Re,
0: well, it's a reenactment, right? It's a historical oh, reenactment, okay. right? And, and in fact, that's what they do. What they reenact is the, is the, the, the killing of or the, the... execution. The execution of, of, of Guy Fox and, and the others that were involved. And I just think, well, if you're going to do a reenactment of it, do reenact the whole thing, you know? Um, uh, but maybe even throw in that he was successful. <laughs> I don't know. It's just an idea. Anyway, people don't do, do gay fox anymore. They they do uh, in the UK. Uh, American culture has has taken over. Has taken over quite a long time ago. I mean, it was like probably in the eighties and stuff. It was still a thing in the UK. It was still still a bigger thing. The fifth of November was a bigger thing than thirty first. Even though they were never went together, there was a bit of Halloween. But people in the UK or in England in particular would have been focused on on the fifth of November as Bonfire Night. You know. Hmm. Um, it's interesting now it's that most people switched. would be familiar with it because of *The Vendetta.
1: Yeah, exactly. A Hollywood yeah. movie. Yeah, well, but set Britain,
0: it takes Hollywood movies to educate people these days. Apparently, um, okay. but anyway, it's just in terms of that was just a little aside. But in terms of uh, just just so people who are listening so they know, um, I'm I'm wearing in a cafe, like it's—it's it's not actually a Palestinian flag. It kind of, sort of, it's—it's it's basically a scarf. It's not a flag. It's a scarf, and it's not Palestinian. It's Arab. It was people wore them on their head. I'm, I've got in the wrong place. Should be on my head to protect me from the sun. That's all it is. Okay, it became a symbol of Palestinian resistance, etc., whatever, since the 1950s. It's actually a British guy who, uh, at the time, uh, who was you know, when the Brit- the British Mandate, in, in the late 30s and fo- and for fo- our 40s, um, during the Arab-Israeli War, just before that. The Brits were running Palestinians basically, uh, Palestinian troops in, from Jordan, mm-hmm. which was a, a, under British mandate at the time. And it was a British general. His name was um, John Glubb, John Baggett Club. Anyway, he, um, he wanted to distinguish his Palestinian uh, recruits from other Arab recruits. And so we had the Palestinians were the black and white, and others were red ones or whatever. Mm. So it was kind of like a. And it was, it was his. He made it basically a Palestinian thing. I mean they took it up afterwards or whatever, but he was the one who actually di- differentiated this black and white uh, kefiyeh scarf as being representative of Palestinians because obviously there's different colors, different shapes and they're all just worn in your head to protect you from the sun traditionally. but in terms of Palestinian resistance, it was actually a british guy who who uh, was the was a source of that and you're today you're what am you're, I wearing you're you're, you're you, do you ever see um uh what do you call it a famous Disney movie?
1: Disney movie,
0: yeah, the one with the elephant, yeah. Dumbo. What's that called? No, not Dumbo. <laughs> no, um, you're um, you're Prince Ali from
1: what's it ah, called? Ali. Prince Ali, Ali Ababwa. Prince Aladdin,
0: Aladdin for yeah. fuck's sake, Aladdin. There you go. You're Prince Ali. No, okay, I'll just explain. It so I get we the girl.
1: It? I get the girl on the magic carpet. That seems like a yeah, fair deal.
0: That sounds okay. it, yeah. Good luck with that. Anyway, um,
1: it's the hat. It's the hat. What well, it?
0: It's the... So I'm wearing the scarf to be... We're going to have a, a discussion here on this topic of uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh-huh. I'm going to represent moderate Palestinian take and you were meant to be re- representing uh, the, the Israeli side. Oh, and, and to represent that, you were meant to bring a kippah or a yaml oh. right? Mm. But we don't I, don't th- I don't think you knew what one of those was and that was the close you can. Which which might show a certain bias in a certain sense that we actually have a kafir. A, a Palestinian kafir yeah. We don't have a Yamalca. We We're should actually have a trying to
1: present both sides of the argument. This is not,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so it's, I get uh, to I
1: get to play the Israeli set Yeah, there.
0: yeah. Oh Jesus.
1: Okay. Well, well. Okay. First point of uh, debate. Then I propose that we nuke Gaza. Yeah. Well, that's literally what an Israeli government minister suggested this week. So apparently that's the Israeli point. So what's your counterpoint?
0: Somebody said he was suspended for saying that.
1: Yeah, probably not.
0: You're meant to be ha- you're, it's meant to be a moderate Israeli position. Oh, well, he is a government
1: minister, so. Yeah, well. Times of Israel, check it out. He suggested can Gaza. Yeah, he did get reprimanded. I don't know if he was suspended, but. Yeah. Or, it's interesting, the full quote is, why don't we nuke Gaza? He gave a second option. Or send them all to Ireland or yeah. the desert. Ireland. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of like psychopathic. He knows enough uh-huh. he's about the Irish
0: well, that they're heard. particularly supportive. But he may have just, I mean, All of Palestinian he's keeping an eye. Well, yeah, he probably knows that yeah. and historically, and he knows that uh, Irish politicians have been outspoken against the, the atrocities against my people. I mean, Palestinians. And or um, he knows who are like taking in a lot of, how
1: many, 100,000 Ukrainians? Hmm. the ukrainians are now the sec the largest minority in Ireland since last year or something
0: yeah not for long maybe um we'll see we might go back home soon maybe we'll start with that actually instead of israel palestine uh you you declared to me today that yeah uh, big, well, the big news today was that um russia won <laughs> ukraine lost and russia won it's
1: there there are three key okay so what it is is it's There are three main reports. Okay, the first one is from NBC. People probably saw this one because I think it got the most traction. NBC, so this is the American side last week. If you can put that up, Scotty. headline is U.S. European officials broached topic of peace negotiations with Ukraine, sources say. So the sources are undoubtedly CIA or something. Um, The conversations have included very broad outlines of what Ukraine might need to give up to reach a deal with Russia, give up, but I thought they were going to get it all back and push the barbaric Russians back to Moscow. Well, apparently not. And if you scroll down, I won't read the, the details. P- people know the gist of Zelensky not happy. I love the way they just opened up. He's not happy. Look, look how they opened up the first paragraph. US and European officials have begun quietly, quietly, <laughs> hushed like, yeah. talking to the Ukrainian government Hello, about what. Is possible, that Zelensky? <laughs> about Can peaceful, we talk about a surrender. Ah, (coughs) the conversations have included very broad outlines of what Ukraine might need to give up, i.e. they're not getting back, those four oblasts, now Russian provinces. They're not getting them back, and they're saying here they're not getting them back. The talks, which officials described as delicate, a bit like quiet, delicate, delicate, they they might blow over in the breeze any moment, took place last month.
0: That's too loud, Neil, quietly.
1: During a meeting, blah, blah, blah. The discussions, and this is NBC's characterization, a correct one. Very good. The discussions are an acknowledgement of the dynamics militarily on the ground in Ukraine and politically in the U.S. and Europe. So, yeah. They knew it. We always knew they knew it. It's it's like that famous Solzhenitsyn quote. They're lying. We know they're lying. They know that we know they're lying. (laughs) So, Yeah. They, you know, slaughtered uh, basically the flower of Ukrainian youth for the sacrifice of, well, fuck all, um, militarily or politically, just really to get Russia to have it painted down in history as evil. And, of course, to make shitloads of money. It was to
0: rebuild America's industrial base, as uh, what did you call him last week told us. Biden. No, the other guy. Oh. uh, Transient transient ischemic uh,
1: attack. the, The Secretary of State.
0: No, transient ischemic attack boy.
1: Transient ischemic. <laughs> what? The old know. fella. The old fella, not Biden. No, the elder fella. Who get, has trouble
0: in front of a camera too. To rebuild America's industrial base. He goes a bit... Uh, who? Come on. He, he, I out. don't know his name. I can't remember his oh name. Oh, you can't remember. <laughs> he, go, he, he goes a bit... Uh, he goes a bit... Kind of quiet turn.
1: Oh, the, the Mitch McConnell, the head of the, well, the head, well, whatever, the, the, the senior Republican. Republican
0: yep, senator. Um, Yeah, he said it last week. We played it last week. He said it was about rebuilding America's industrial base. That a significant portion of the money going to Ukraine, or that has been going to Ukraine, which is about fifty, mil, 50 billion dollars at this point uh, has stayed inside the country and is really good because it goes to our defense contractors we're getting rid of all we're shipping off all our old old, our old um, old weapons stockpiles that have been r- rusting away or dusting away in, in in storage for many years we shipped all of them over and then we have to replace them so it, it energizes uh, yeah. the defense it contractors a lot of people simulates
1: economic growth,
0: growth a lot of people or... are employed in America like probably yeah. millions uh, of people employed by defense contractors in the USA so that's jobs for everybody you know so it's all good. And sure, what, 500,000 Ukrainian people were killed, but that was their choice at the end of the day, you know. They, 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 I mean, their choice based on lies and disinformation, but still their choice. The second item is
1: from CNN. Actually, no, it's CNN, but it's extensively quoting um, an interview in The Economist. So this is the British wing of the deep state. Um, headline, Ukrainians face grim reality of a prolonged war with Russia amid battlefields. Dale that sounds more like it's expected it to continue on, but what it is actually, scroll down, is an interview with this guy who is still alive, it turns out, Zeluzny, the head of the Ukrainian military, okay? Um, they quote him as saying, basically completely contradicting Zelensky. Um, in an interview with The Economist magazine this week, quote, there will most likely be no deep and beautiful breakthrough, and each day that passes give the Russians an advantage. mm mm-hmm. The counteroffensive against Russia is stalled. It was illusionally warned that Russia will have, quote, superiority in weapons, equipment, missiles, and ammunition for a considerable time. This is completely, completely against what we've been told until about a couple of months ago when Washington Post and others slowly began to change the narrative. Remember, for two fucking years, it was nonstop. Any day now, Russia's going to run out of everything, run out of everything. And now it's like, they have an unlimited supply. We can't keep up with it. So, um, it even says somewhere down there, oh, I forgot what the quote was. Um, Carry on down. Oh, yeah. After Delusionate, The Economist goes on to interview. No, this is sorry, this is CNN's own doing. They have people in Kiev and elsewhere in Ukraine interviewing locals. You know, the Vox Populi. They've started to actually ask people on the streets what they think because they didn't really do that until now. They just said whatever they want the Kiev government to say. Um, and, you know, they're all like, look at this one here. It's the last paragraph you can see visible there. I believe in Ukraine's victory, says someone in Kiev. But we have to take into account. The objective uh, reality. Uh, well, What an extraordinary notion. I believe I can fly. Taking into account the objective reality. Yes, indeed. So this is why, this is why like, the, the mainstream media, they, this is why they are lying when they're in pre-war and hot war mode because they know better. And th- you know that they know better because when the thing is actually coming to an end, they start to speak of objective reality mm-hmm. and the military facts on the ground suggesting that they you're kind of left i suppose the implication they just figure that out and yet they they betray their own they, they betray that their own uh, pretense at that they knew all along and now they don't mind reporting the truth factually because they are bringing this thing to a close okay so the third item in main, in mainstream reporting last week came from time um i'm not even sure this might be behind a paywall scotty but um, the Time magazine. So, Time, you remember who was Time Person of the Year last year? Gilewiczki, of course he was. Well, a year later, um, I suppose it's a long one. But the kicker paragraph, if you do a word, well, search, the title's a
0: kicker. Nobody believes in our victory. Like I do, <laughs> we go ahead and have victory all by yourself. Then,
1: uh, well, that's pretty much it. That's obviously them quoting.
0: He doesn't uh, look happy again. He, he, he never looks happy. In that was his September visit. What, what this time report does... See, there's, there's what he called him on the, on the left there, Mitch McConnell. McConnell. You, you see why he's smiling, and smiling at Zelensky and Zelensky's feeling very sad. Yeah. Well, there's a pro- the reality is, is the, the subtext behind that is that Mitch McConnell is very happy because he's looking at the guy who has allowed for uh, the US to re-industrialise its, its, or, or revitalise its industrial base at the expense of him and his people. So that's why he's happy and he's sad. Anyway, carry on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, what Time did was they followed Zelensky in, throughout his September visit mm-hmm. to Congress and elsewhere in the United States and ran the notorious one in Canada, I remember. Then they went home with him, back to Kiev. Um, and what the article has is it quotes anonymous um, advisors to Zelensky in Kiev saying things like, well, I'll find the key paragraph. If you do a word search for despite the recent... Um, there it is. Despite the recent setbacks on the battlefield, he, Zelensky, does not intend to give up fighting or to sue for any kind of peace. On the contrary, his belief in Ukraine's ultimate victory over Russia has hardened into a form that worries some of his advisers. Mm. It is immovable, verging on the messianic. There's a quote from the anonymous advisor. Quote, he did deludes himself.
0: It's not him. We're
1: out of options. We're not winning. But try telling him
0: that. That's because it's hard to tell anybody high on cocaine that things are bad. Do you know what I mean? They're really, you know, when there's not a lot of cocaine, they're they're really convinced of uh, know what's, awesome what's
1: really insidious about this is that we know Zelensky knew better when he was... Thinking seriously about a deal with Russia in April 2022, but oh, it was next sh- by Johnson, these yeah. shitheads came in and told him,
0: "Don't you dare!" Yeah. But since then, and, and
1: now they're saying, "Oh, everyone else around Zelensky knows that." But <laughs> try telling him that he's deluded. So yeah. this is this is this third piece conclusively shows you they're pushing him under the bus. Yeah. Well, of course, pushing him under the. But he's the a Russian fall guy. Train.
0: He's the ultimate. He's, he's, he's the ultimate patsy in that respect. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like. Zelensky's running around, you know, again, maybe sustaining himself with the regular line of coke, going like, no, you know, we're too far in. We're not turning back. We're winning. We're going to win. We're going to win bigly eventually. we just got to keep going. And the rest of the Americans and the Europeans are like, dude, did you really not understand... Why we just did the, that? This whole thing from the get-go, really? I mean, come on, really. We thought that you were in on the joke at the beginning. <laughs> we thought you were just going along for the same reason we were, which was to... You know, get rid of our old weapons stocks, a major concern, and, and re, re, revitalize our industrial base. And, and you know, push back against give Russia a problem. It's all geopolitical. It's not about Ukraine. It's not about you. Like, it's not Ukraine winning. It's not about getting a medal. Like, it's not like saying, you know, I won. I, I, Ukraine came first in the in in the, in the Russia war competition. Like, you know, you don't get to stand on the podium and get a medal, you know what I mean, and, and give a speech. It's not what... Do you really live? What world well, do you live in, Zelensky? Come on, really? We're sh- you're shocking us here. We thought you were. You th- we thought you were one of us.
1: Zelensky is is. And he just punches
0: <laughs> on a sad face. He's
1: come up with an idea of how to salvage the situation. Mm. He's proposed that he fly out to Israel.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one other piece. Like, I mean, I just throw it in there for 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 reference. Uh, this was in the news on this topic as, again this week. This is <laughs> what amazes me about this. These two pranksters. Uh, Bovan and Lexus have done this probably a dozen times or more, more at this point over the past number of few years
1: have they're not pranked
0: and so they, they're pranked they're going around pranking just wait a few months prank some other high level European politician prime minister president whatever and get them to say say stuff that they wouldn't say publicly and I'm amazed that she doesn't know this or that her people I mean it's, it's an example of like delusion or just being too busy with other stuff but like it's pretty it's a serious leak like you know what I mean? In terms of security, this is a serious security leak where you get somebody in a position of power in a Western country to say something that they would never say, say publicly. And they, these two guys, Russian guys, have done this repeatedly. So there's more than enough evidence for everybody, every politician in Europe to realize, listen, double, triple, whatever, check, whoever the call is from. But she turns around and she says basically that uh, there's a lot of fatigue. You have to say the truth from all the sides. We're not really into it anymore. And this was September. So uh-huh. basically she's saying and she's speaking on behalf, on behalf of all sides on the anti-Russian side or the pro pro-Ukraine side in in this in this conflict. Or she's that we're all she super hears. fatigued. Fatigued. She's, she's repeating what she hears. At NATO no, what she hears, in Brussels. Exactly. It's just, yeah. From, yeah. from it's, well, they're all having their little meetings together and discussing it. So she, yeah, but they're all in it together. They all agree in a certain sense. Mm. Like she agrees. Like I mean, Italy probably hasn't provided much in the way of uh, funding or whatever to relatively to Ukraine. But they're they're done as well. You know. Um... But just, the thing about it is, it's obviously not over. You know, the band's going to make it. Ukraine's going to win. No. The thing about it is, is that conflict is ongoing. Yeah, it's not really. What's right, happening, what... you know, the lines are pretty much stable. Ukraine at this point, and the main thing, and this is the main thing that people don't understand through it, a lot of people don't understand through it, the whole conflict. They were looking at the map of Ukraine over the past couple of years and how much Russian ter- much territory Russia had, had taken. Like, look at that, so little. Russia, had, actually, they lost a bunch and all this kind of stuff. And they, and they fail to understand a very simple and basic uh, you know, uh, truth about any war is that the war, isn't, a war between two parties isn't about how much territory you gain in the process of the war. A war is fundamentally about two armies confronting each other. And the one who wins, regardless of what territory is taken or, or given back or, or, or whatever, the one who wins is the one who destroys the other army, to the point that the other army has no more men left to actually fight the war. If you don't have any soldiers, you can't fight a war. It doesn't matter how many weapons, how many howmars America still has to give, or leopard tanks, or whatever, Israeli tanks even. Challenge it, tanks. it. It doesn't matter, because if you get nobody to drive them, you're not having any more war. You've lost. Uh, so, the whole map and the way it might have changed, and how little, relatively little land Russia actually took... Is, has always been irrelevant. It's about all you had to do was keep your eye on the attrition numbers of the figures of the you know, reliable figures of d- dead Ukrainian soldiers versus dead Russian soldiers. And that's at this point, it's somewhere between, it has been from the very beginning roughly, variably, but somewhere between 8 to 10 to 1. So, and there was a report out this week that the BBC and a few others had, according to them, reliably figure you know, uh, assessed from whatever records they could get their hands on, that um, I think it's forty thousand somewhere, somewhere in the 40,000 of of killed Russian soldiers over the past two years. So, does that include Wagner? It may not. Most of them, actually, a majority of them, not a majority, but the the biggest per- percentage of them, something like a third or more, were actually convicts, ex convicts which include Wagner. So okay. yeah, it does include Wagner and, and mainly Wagner, actually. Uh, but the biggest portion was Wagner and then just regular troops. Um, but the point is that that's, you multiply by 10 for Ukrainians. So you're talking about yeah. somewhere up to, in the region of 400,000 to 500,000 dead Ukrainians. That, and, and we know from the very beginning that, that Ukraine had was able to muster or, or had mustered 600,000 um, soldiers who were capable trained, proper training, etc. Mm. Uh, mo- the vast majority, 80-90% of those are now dead. So that's why they're talking about uh, peace stale-mate or some made kind of stalemate or some kind of settlement. And what Ukrainians have to do at this point and will do at this point, there'll be no more Ukrainian offensive attacks. They're, simple, they'll go, what, they're what their plan now basically is to go back to uh, just defense only. To try and keep it going, let it carry on but no more great Massive, awesome, best ever Russian or, or Ukrainian well, offensive.
1: You said beautiful
0: breakthrough or something. Yeah, no beautiful breakthroughs. There's not going to be any any Ukrainian attacks It's going to be basically just uh, uh, defense and trying to prevent Russia from taking in more land. Well, that's if, the question. What, is,
1: what does Russia do next?
0: Well Russia, well, Russia is in a position where there's no, despite this talk in the West of what are we going to have to get Zelensky to agree to give up in order to suit for peace and how much land will we have to allow uh russia to take 20 percent the territories the four territories maybe that's it and but you know the from the part of zelensky and a lot of people in at least a certain amount of people in ukraine the ukrainian government they're like no way never ban's gonna make it it's not over we're gonna keep going others are a bit more realistic the russians obviously is the other side of the equation and the russians are like well there's no word there's no mention from the russians at all about any kind of um any kind of ceasefire, any kind of uh, surrender, any kind of uh, you know coming to uh, coming to terms, uh, the Russians basically aren't done, and that's understandable because the Russians it'd be a very bad idea for the Russians. It certainly, it's not in their, it has never been in their in their plan that at this point they would give up. You know, with and just okay, we've got these not even all the full uh, territory of those yeah. four regions. You know, only partly, partial, some of them, and so they're um, going to move someone at least. No, well, go- Russia will continue to attack the, the Ukrainian military uh, because the- Russia's not going to settle now for this and then, okay, there's some peace. Because, like, the, the vast majority of Ukraine, which will remain in Ukrainian hands in that scenario, would still be allowed to join NATO and join the EU and then rebuild and in 10 years you'll be back at square one. Yeah. In 10 years you're back, you're back to March 2022. I don't think Russia wants that. I mean, that obviously w- wouldn't be a good idea, and I don't think the Russians are planning that at all. There's no way Ukraine has to be totally um, neutralized, and by neutralized, I mean made into a neutral country at the very least, mm. and take its regime no- change and take Kiev its normal position at the very least. Yeah, so um, that's how that happens. Don't know, but the background or the bigger picture to all of this, and I think, which is on the the Russians' mind as well, is that they don't have to get to a position where they find some way to take over all of Ukraine or have a regime change in Ukraine or turn the clock back, you know, 10 years or 20 years, whatever, um, and make Ukraine an ally of Russia again. Um, you know, by force that the only reason Ukraine, this Ukraine conflict actually occurred and why Ukraine effectively attacked Russia or provoked Russia into, into defending the people of Donbass was because, as we just mentioned, uh, American geopolitical interests and Western, ge- and, and by by association, Western European geopolitical interests, uh, but mainly American. So, I think on the Russian's mind is, and Putin has said this explicitly, that you know the West is going down the tubes, basically. Mm. America is teetering and it doesn't have long left, left basically. Uh, so, there's there's no need for Russia to, to do, do anything any except so hold the line, stay, you know, just do whatever it needs uh-huh. to do. Because if and when some kind of economic crisis, which the Russians have predicted, major global upset or change, at least in the power structures in the world, that happens, that by definition you know, some serious pain for for America economically and in its global global standing. And and therefore
1: the place is most dependent on it. Kiev pays, Kiev Kiev pays salaries and pensions because of the US money supply and then when so, that stopped yeah. at that point Kiev is basically bowl in hand yeah, going to whoever, Moscow anyway and, go, and, and they exactly. willingly come over there's no need to fight them
0: to that there'll point. be no money in America for them no money in Europe for them nobody looking to invest nobody with the resources to invest they'll be concerned with their own economies and Russia will be there and say listen at that point Russia will negotiate terms and it won't be based on necessarily military 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 uh, military equation it'll be based on the economic equation. And that's much more pressing, obviously. Right.
1: The, the one other outcome of, this is mentioned in passing in the Financial Times, it's behind a paywall, so I can't show up. Uh, the one major outcome of this war, uh, the headline is, the EU's plan to regain its competitive advantage. The Financial Times last week. It says in there that the EU economy in dollar terms is 65% the size of the US economy. That's down from 91%, almost parity in 2013, 10 years ago. All by design. Per capita, US gross domestic product is more than twice the size of the EU's, and the gap is increasing. That's the result. That's the that substantial economic result of Euro deindustrialization, thanks to
0: the Ukraine war. Yeah. No, it's, it was by accident. No, it was American capitalism. No, it, yeah, was, it was American, In- American, American, In- American ingenuity, yeah. Ingenuity. Yeah. ingenuity. Indeed, it was if you
1: include blowing up Nord Stream as part of American exactly. ingenuity, then yeah, <laughs> yeah okay,
2: it
0: technically depends you're, you're right. It was all those entrepre- entrepreneurs because, you know, as Bush said, uh, Europeans, especially the French, don't have a word for entrepreneur. Mm. So it's a business mind that... <laughs> Did uh, he really say that? Yeah. <laughs> This great. Um, uh, we have to find that. Um, yeah, but that's by design. That's, that's the hegemon um, you know, taking its quote-unquote fair share of the pie, right? At the, at the expense of its vassals. And the vassals just go, yes, thank you. Okay, that's fine. You can do that. Oh, you okay, want the so other shirt off my back? Okay, you can have that too.
1: Can we stop worrying about nuclear apocalypse now? Because everyone was yeah. like, no. got their knickers in a twist. So the, if the Ukraine war is ending, there's that mean peace on Earth. And goodwill to all men. No more, no more Armageddon. Except, no shit, it's all blown up in the Middle East now. We probably have the You know
0: how the segue? We knew. Have, has anybody noticed the segue. Have you noticed the segue, Neil? Definitely. Did you notice the segue from COVID? Do you notice how COVID was all cool. the rage, and then boom, it just started to peter out, and then oh, something else came along. Baxton. Yeah. I mean, it's just natural wave. Well, Nobody knows about it, right? Nobody plans that, right? No, they do. Nah, come on. They do. It's just natural. What I was going to say it's was... It's
1: exciting times. It just happened all that. Do nat- you remember it looked like a FUBAR, Afghanistan, late 2021? Yeah. But now we accident. know they were preparing for Ukraine. No, that was just accidental as well. And way, now I mean, they're turning down
0: Ukraine and they've got four aircraft carrier Shh, groups. Shh, there's a conspiracy theories. just coincidence. <laughs> Fuck me. You're just seeing coincidences everywhere. Stop seeing conspiracies everywhere. Just call them coincidences and no one will laugh at you. Okay, even though I have this hat on they'll the laugh at you for that, but <laughs> look okay the coincidence coincidence theory give me your coincidence theory. the strange, unusual, highly improbable coincidences that have happened over the past years are just very interesting, but for their improbability and for the way in which they seem to all move in a, a kind of downward direction for the planet and the population as a whole again it's it's
1: starting to look like even the American establishment is not that so full of hubris that it really believes it can fight two wars at once. No. That's why Ukraine is wound down while they focus on the Middle There's
0: East. a big coincidence coming up soon, right? Well, there's obviously there was, it was a coincidence that it just so happened that the Americans had decided to divest from Ukraine at a time when Israel decided to have a go at Gaza.
1: Well, and another coincidence, because coincidentally Hamas surprised them. Because coincidentally the
0: Israeli military were, for that day on the evening of October 7th, just all fell asleep at once. Not only the Israeli military personnel, but all of their cameras, all of their surveillance equipment, it all just went to sleep. That's just a coincidence as well, okay? So, as a result of that coincidence, Hamas coincidentally was able to escape from Gaza and go and take over a bunch of military bases and go to different uh, kibbutzim uh, near Gaza. And it is also just a coincidence that the people that um, that so many Israelis were killed uh, because that then allowed. Israel to do what it's done in terms of its, its massive disproportionate, let's say, or you know, massive bombing campaign of Gaza provoking potential a wider war in the Middle East. That's a coincidence as well. Um, it's also a coincidence that the people in the kibbutzim said that the Hamas personnel and other milit- Palestinian militants who went into the kibbutzim and stuff treated them very well. And it's just a coincidence that America or the Israelis have this, the IDF has this, have this directive called the Hannibal Directive, which is in the case where there are hostages taken by your enemy, you just kill everybody. Mm-hmm. So Hamas killed those 1,400 Israelis, if that's, if that's the true number. And it's only a coincidence that someone, like actual hostages who are there on the ground, said that it was very likely that a lot of the Israelis were killed by It's kind of a contradiction more than a coincidence. But anyway, it's all very coincidental. (laughs) Um, And it's also a coincidence that um, a potential wider war in the Middle East would upset the global economy in a kind of proactive way. Well, do you think that's that's what's ultimately motivating the
1: Americans here?
0: Well I'll tell you here's another coincidence. Because
1: well, hey, hey. Co- they've sent four aircraft carrier groups supposedly it's to cover Israel while it does what it's doing. Well you know
0: where one's transiting right now it probably has gone through it the, uh, the Eisenhower is through the Suez Canal where's where's that and going? the
1: Iranians have a drone over where's that, that going? Footage of it.
0: That's going to somewhere near Iran maybe or it might just hang out in the Red Sea probably not but it says it's probably going on around, the, around the Saudi and into the into, into, the into, into the Gulf of, Gulf of uh, Persian Gulf, of, yeah. I mean, I would assume that. Why, why is it going that way? I don't think, I don't see anywhere strategically that important. Maybe to protect Saudi Arabia or something, but they've already put one or two, uh, There are two off, Lebanon two Israel. off the on the Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah. Looking at basically the whole situation in Israel and Palestine right now, and then there's a third that's taken off down the Suez Canal. Where's it going? I don't know. Who's it going? it's going? Obviously, going to protect somebody else. It's going to look at somebody else, right? To to, to leer. Lear at some other country or protect some other country. It's got, it can only be Saudi Arabia or maybe Yemen. Maybe they'll sell off Yemen. Or, but that's, anyway, it's in and around the Persian Gulf, Iran, etc.
1: Okay, so look, for a month, people have, they've almost got tired of it because they're on, you know, tenterhooks thinking what's going to happen next. On Friday, we had the speech by, long-awaited speech and much hyped by Nasrallah mm. leader of Hezbollah in Lebanon, which the sum of it is, he said, we're not going to do anything precipitous. mm, mm. We're already he we're already at war since October eighth because we're drawing Israeli fire. He claims about a third of Israeli Israel's capacity military capacity is directed north, mm. and that seems to hold out. There mm. are exchanges mm-hmm. over the border. Okay, but we're not going. <clears throat> the tragedy of it is he's, he either can't or won't or whatever. They're not stepping. No one is stepping in. If Hezbollah is not stepping in to stop what's going on in Gaza, no one else is. So how do you go from there to something else? And and specifically, is that what somebody wants? Well, I mean... Because... Yes, the scenario... Is is there a halfway house between obliterating Gaza and everyone agreeing not to go mad on it, Mm -hmm. and actual mad? What is an
0: escalation? No. Uh, No, I mean... (laughs) it's, It's a strange... The facts on the ground right now are that, you know, the Israelis will probably... Over the next, you know, starting now and over the next while, will tone down their bombing. Whatever that you know that's relative for the Israelis, obviously, but they'll tone down. I suspect down. they'll sort
1: of they'll stop when the death call hits fourteen thousand.
0: Why? It's just oh, ten
1: times. Just a ten. T-
0: well, t- it's the ten thousand symbolic marker. Numbers as well, they, you know they what I mean? like numbers. Like. Yeah, but. Um, so they'll, they'll kind of tone it down because they've started their, quote-unquote, ground offensive, um, which isn't really ground offensive. It's, you know, well, it is a ground offensive. They're moving in. And their whole thing, the whole plan, the idea from the get-go was to get into Gaza. Um, that's why they bombed the crap out of the place and were, hitting, you know, just destroying a lot of buildings and, 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 you know, leveling a lot of buildings because they wanted to clear away, basically, for the ground offensive, which is, and the objective of the ground offensive is to destroy the Hamas tunnel network, right? Mm-hmm. There's a tunnel network all along Gaza, not just in the north, but they've more or less annexed the top of about the top third, let's say, of Gaza from the Wadi the Wadi Gaza River running through over to the sea. From there up, every I don't think not all Palestinians are actually have moved south, obviously, but some of them have. Um, and they're fighting, and then in the rubble that Israel has created in that northern third of Gaza, Hamas um, and the PLO and the the Palestinians, which I and stuff, are having these urban, essentially urban, you know, hit and run battles with the IDF. That's going to go on for quite a while. Do you think so? I mean, the videos That's the plan. That's the plan. It'll go on for quite a while. Okay. It's going to take a while. I mean, because...
1: Netanyahu said last week this is going to take a long time.
0: Yeah, months, whatever, that's what he said. So it's going to take quite a while and they're in no rush to do it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll just carry on and keep bombing up here and there, bombing here and there. Whatever. Uh, there's obviously there's the issue of the Palestinian humanitarian crisis that they created for the rest of the people in in, in Gaza, and uh, that has to be dealt with. And they have to like either let people out or let supplies in, or whatever. That's that's a I separate issue. I heard there's six
1: hundred and some thousand refugees. I they, yeah from the north. They've had to move out from the north, yeah. so they're already piling. Yeah, up yeah, yeah. On well, that's most. That's the what people, they said. Most the of
0: episode. the people of that area of, of one third, one third that of of northern Gaza that the Israelis have have annexed and certain time. not annexed but yeah they 've been taken over and they 're fighting fighting uh, uh, battles ongoing, but their plan is to like i said to destroy the, destroy the tunnels um, so what happens what's the, what's the what 's the game plan here what we're looking down, looking towards the future what 's going to happen well we 're going to destroy the Hamas tunnels and thereby destroy Hamas in the same process uh, so Hamas will no longer exist okay once you 've achieved that objective um so you leave, right? After these months, whatever, you've destroyed all the tunnel networks, you're satisfied they've destroyed most of Hamas to the point that it's no longer really an effective force anymore. Um, and you leave. Right, you're not going you to... You haven't expelled the Palestinians, just crammed them all into the bottom of Gaza, right? Or you Nobody's can, you, taken them.
1: You annex, you remain indefinitely no.
0: in the northern half. Well, possibly, but if it doesn't look like... Anybody is going to take the Palestinians in, like Egypt or Jordan or anyone, they're not going out of that strip of Gaza. Then even the Israelis have to have a view of you know have an eye on the optics and the. And the Do they? My well, God. they're quite resilient in terms of resisting it and fighting back against it. But you know, if they were if they were to create a situation where hundreds of of people starve to death, I don't think they would go that far simply because of the optics, right? So they would have to allow some normalization, and they would, I think they don't. Th- it's not tenable to have. Twice the population in half the space of Gaza. I don't think they would keep all of Gaza. And anyway, they've destroyed maybe a third of the buildings in the northern part of Gaza. So let them back in. Israelis leave, and now you've got Gaza partly ruined with no Hamas. Um, but most of the Palestinian population, most of the two million people, are still there. So, but that just is a scenario. Same as the scenario I posited. Or I posited for, or I, I suggested is, is in terms of the thinking of the Russians, vis vis Ukraine, that well, would just be that in 10 years, you just put it off 10 those years. Ask,
1: those kids will go up. Well, just, be fighters.
0: Yeah, you just t- kill 10,000 people, you know, if so you basically, you know, <laughs> create another generation of, of anti-Israeli-Palestinian fighters, basically. Uh, so it's not a solution. The point is, it's not a solution. Mm-hmm. What yeah. they're doing right now is not a solution. It's a short-term win, but it's not a solution to the problem and they're just putting it off. Maybe they just want to get themselves 10 years of breathing space or something from Palestinians where they have to rebuild and get themselves together and they, get 10, they just really get 10 years of no rocket fire. Um, but I don't think they, they're think I think they've, they've gone all in enough in, in this episode that they want a, a fuller solution or somebody wants a fuller and more complete solution to the problem and um, and by the problem I mean you have to understand the problem for Israel isn't just Hamas it's very it's very clear that the problem is the The, wider network as they see it it's the quote sea of Muslims all around them right and as they they say as they they claim or as they believe Iran being the the leader and the Mm -hmm. The, the ringleader, the, inst- the ringleader of 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 this, this whole problem. So a, a broader solution to that whole problem, obviously by definition, uh, implies that Iran has to be dealt with, uh, and other, you know, allied pro-Palestinian states like Syria, Assad, um, Yemen. They all have to be the, the told what's up. Basically, yeah. they all have to be t- taught a very harsh lesson, and it has, it has to be it has to be permanent. They have to remake the Middle East, right, in, in a way that is safe for Israel. And, yeah, Permanently, or a very long time safe for Israel. But
1: so they think they can do a controlled Armageddon and remake the Middle East again in their favorite image. And not, set, or not lose and not set off right Armageddon. Yeah. Mad yeah, of some kind.
0: They, they think that and they're testing it. They're going step by step and seeing where it goes. And, and the and Americans are in position for that next step. And the Americans are there because there's a conversions of interest there. So that's the Israeli interest to make the Middle East safe for Israel. Now, America obviously wants to make the Middle East safe for Israel as well for its own personal uh, um, interests because Israel has always been that. Like you said, re- used the phrase, uh, uh, America's aircraft carrier. unsinkable aircraft carrier. Unthinkable, aircraft, unthinkable, aircraft, unthinkable aircraft. aircraft carrier in the Middle East. That's what it always has been. Um, so America, the conversions of interest here is that America sees this, sees the Israeli interests of dealing with these Arabs, these Iranians, and iranian, uh, iranian line groups in, in, in the Middle East. That's Israel wants to get rid of them, destroy them, make, make the Middle East safe for Israel. And America sees, well, if we were to like upend, to get on board with that and upend the Middle East, create some kind of a major conflict in the Middle East, it would have kind of global repercussions because the Middle East, as everybody knows, is... You know, the energy spigot of the world. Right. Um, China is Dependent a major American geopolitical uh, foe uh, that America is you know, eager to deal with in one way or another. Well, I and mean, Nikki Haley
1: tweeted today, uh, America's number one enemy is communist China. So China. make it nice and simple for everyone.
0: So, and they can't, they can't deal with China. Way too many people, too big they can 't deal with it militarily, so the best way uh, is is economically uh, china 's Achilles heel is economic is, is economics and it 's like you just said it 's dependence on its economy and its, its economy 's dependence on middle Eastern oil. So if you can mess up the Middle East big time and c- shut off or for quite a long time cause serious problems with the supply of energy from the middle east you 're going to deal a significant blow to china 's china 's economic uh, growth and, and movement. And the other the other part of that context is, is China China and, along with Russia, their one belt, one road. China's one belt, one road initiative, which is basically the idea of a multipolar world, i.e. not the world we have today and have had for 100 years or more, where the West or America has been the global hedge and has, and has dictated terms and taken the biggest slice of the pie, but rather a more equitable sharing of the yeah. resources of the, of the world and Focusing the center of the world would be the Eurasian continent from kind of Vladivostok or Beijing, whatever, over to uh, Western Europe. You know, like that chunk of Eurasia uh, has 80% of the world's resources, 80% of the world's population. That should be the center of the world and that's where the economic power in the world should be. That's China's vision and it's borne out by... (laughs) It's <laughs> borne out by the China the and Muslims, geog- geography and uh, population and, and energy resources. Objective that's what reality. Be. So America doesn't like that, doesn't want to be unseated as the hegemon. So um, that's why China primarily is its enemy and the only way I can deal with China is economically and the best way you can deal with China economically is to uh, throttle its energy supply and a big part of China's en- energy supply comes from the Middle East. So you, you know, you could throw the Ch- Chinese economy into recession and that obviously all the knock-on effects from that. Um. And you would, in a certain sense, but obviously that's, there's a lot of pitfalls in that, where you might have global economic crisis, um, countries falling off the cliff all over the place. But as America sees it, if they sit back and allow for this China Chinese Russian agenda of of a multipolar world and pushing for, you know, along with bricks and all that kind of stuff, and basically a, a multipolar world where there's, like I just said, there's a more equitable sharing of the, of the world's power and resources, and in, and towards this, the places where it's Where most of the power and resources are, that spells doom for America. It (laughs) doesn't really, but yeah, it spells doom
1: for the way they've always well the way they've gotten used to doing business. It kind of does, but it's the highwayman approach, it's that Wild West approach.
0: Yeah, they don't like it because they want to remain top dog, but it does spell doom for the American economy because if that if a multipolar world were to emerge then the dollar would no longer be the world reserve currency. And it all comes flooding back. All comes flooding back. American economy contracts massively and you have really the economic destruction of America. So it's existential for America. So we point, must economically we destroy China before, quote, they, but actually it's just objective reality, destroys before, us. Before objective reality intrudes on us. And what, what, well, well, there's an opportunity that's been dropped on our lap here with... Uh, again, a coincidence that it's an opportunity that's been dropped a lap where Israel, <laughs> where Israel has get all, got all head up and, and started a fire in the Middle East with the Palestinians. And the Americans are going, hey, you know, we can make some uh, lemonade right here by expanding this. Cassandra, because if, if they don't expand it, like I just said, where's it going to go? All the, all the opposition, Hezbollah, Iran, they're all sitting back going, we're not doing nothing.
1: Cassandra in the chat says, but surely if the Chinese economy was threatened... China and Russia, their partner, would step in big time.
0: Step in where? That's that's the thing. Yeah. No, but step they, in
1: presumably to. But that stop that's the, the war in the Middle but East. But that's the genius to they could try.
0: And China has sent. it was doing you know naval exercises with uh, who's it with there recently? Um, anyway, they were in the, in, the, in the just off the Persian well, Gulf.
1: Well, they, they docked
0: a boat in the Gulf in right. Kuwait. Right. Right. So they're engaged in some exercises there. So they're obviously in, in the in the region and they're keeping an eye on it because they know, they're not stupid. Obviously, if we can figure it out, we're not, the, we're not the smartest people in the world around to get the Chinese. Uh, Probably ma- are ma- the smartest people in the world. <laughs> <They> <laughs> say, Asians, man. No, we're not the Chinese smartest people in the world. So if we can figure it out, then the Chinese oh, definitely yeah. uh, no, no, yeah. have, have this figured out and see what, see where it's going. And like, geez, who said that? Cassandra said, that if, would the Chinese not step in if they saw that happening? But America's not doing it to China. Right. So remember, the genesis of this is like, Hamas committed a 9/11-style <laughs> terror. Sorry, uh, I don't want to laugh at that, but just the, the phrase, the phrase of it, the phraseology. Uh, 9/11-style 9/11 terror attack.
1: Hmm? Yeah, 9/11. 9/11. Okay, it was 9/11. Times a
0: thousand. Times a thousand. Hamas carried out a 9/11 th- times a thousand terror attack on Israelis, which justifiably then the Israelis respond to, uh, stoking the ire of other Arab countries in the region, which then in one way or another, depending on how things go and who might throw in a bomb into the middle, some hidden hand might throw something in there that might maybe kicks it off, but let's say it kicks off into a much bigger, broader Middle Eastern conflict, uh, and that upends uh, the, the you know, shipping, p- p- shipping, shipping, shipping and global oil. global uh, energy and supplies yes. towards China uh, and, and all, Europe and, 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 and every, everywhere. everywhere, but... Who cares? They're collateral damage, right? China's the main target. So in that situation, China looks at it and says, yeah, those sneaky Americans, <laughs> you know what I mean? We can see where, what they did there. I can see what you did there, you know? Yeah. But what are they going to say? Are they going to lay all that out and say, therefore, we're justified in attacking oh, right. America? I mean, there's a long chain of events, let's say, or or at least several um you know coincidences and coincidences along the way that just so happened to result in China getting screwed over over economically from a, from an energy supply perspective uh, that's how that's how these people are roll they 're pretty sneaky, pretty smart, sneaky, and smart. do you think that
1: includes the Americans being willing to sacrifice Israel in this if it if that if that's yeah. what it takes uh-huh. to set the Middle East aflame uh-huh. to hurt China? We don't care about Israel coming forward. It can burn like the rest of it. Um, yeah, because... Or, or really, will it be it, all in to protect Israel from the fires they set off around it?
0: No, I mean, no. I mean, they'll try to, but, I mean, part of part of igniting a, a, a major conflict in the Middle East that upends global energy supplies is attacking countries that are attacking Israel. That's your justification, Right. Or that are attacking you because you've got aircraft carriers off the coast and stuff. Maybe they attack you or try to attack you. But anyway, they attack you and or Israel or both, whatever. Um, that's the justification, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just that
1: if anything kicks off, Hezbollah's rockets aren't able to go anywhere else but Israel. That's what they want to hit. No, but in answer to your Although, question, yes,
0: absolutely. Israel will be sacrificed uh, but to some extent. Because if the plan is to create a global energy crisis, basically, like a pretty serious global economic crisis that takes down, at least in part China, you know, and deals, blows to everybody mm. indiscriminately, kind of like Israel's bombs in Palestine, mm. to indiscriminately get everyone, but as long as you get the key players. And out of the dust, you, kind of like in Second World War, uh, America, way over there in the Atlantic, far from the, far from the fray, can emerge as the dust settles and reassert yourself. There's so, another that Marshall sense, Plan. And it's, oh, it's, my well, it'll God. It'll all be very different. And that's, it'll be a new Middle East. Of course, they might get the Jews back into Jerusalem or something like that after a while or whatever and create a new Israel. Call it Nova Nova, Nova Jerusalem or Nova... Nova Israel. Judah. Nova Judah, Nova whatever. And, um, you know, and just you know, see what happens. It's creative destruction, right? You can't create anything without destroying it all first, right? I think. Is that the idea? Anyway, I, think I think that's the that's idea. The idea. And that's the best way. Of course, you know, it generally doesn't go to plan, but um, and and they underestimate their 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 enemies in that in that scenario, you know. Um Oh another idea for a new name, Yahwehstan. Yahwehstan.
1: Not bad, not bad.
0: Um New Zion. Nova Zion. <clears throat> anyway.
1: Okay, that's that's yeah, that's pretty big in scope. Damn, that picture. Um but right, right now. I mean, there's a report that Israel has lost 61 tanks so far. That's unverified, but there's some pretty slick footage. Mm. Hamas is impressive in that I don't remember the Russians ever doing this. They're getting the videos back from their guys. They're obviously wearing GoPro. They're getting them edited Mm. cleverly. Did you see that Mm. the quick zoom in to show that they've hit the target? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the little arrows to tell you where they are because you can't see; it's all grainy and grey. But they say it's right here, mm-hmm. and then they get it uploaded online and it goes viral. That's better than Russian PR in Ukraine. Yeah, anyway,
0: yeah. There, well,
1: there's a lot of footage like
0: those tunnels. Are, I mean, Israel's right that the tunnels are a problem. Like, right? I mean, you imagine like in any. I mean, the Russians didn't have that situation in in uh, in Ukraine. There was no, there was no, there was no town in Ukraine. Oh, well, there's some. There were some serious bunker b- building. That's why yes. they're
1: still stuck right outside Donetsk yeah, city.
0: Bunkers, but it was there was no situation where the Russians. The advantage, in, ah, in the, the Russians never moved in anywhere, and were the Ukrainians never moved in anywhere onto Russian territory, where the Russians had established a, a massive network of tunnels. Hmm. Well, they could pop up here, there, everywhere, fire an RPG, and then disappear again. I mean, that's a nightmare. In any in any uh, conflict, the the advantage is to the person who holds the ground and is defending it, you know what I mean, from the attacker, you know. because the attacker's coming into new territory, they don't know what's going on. People have been there and have set up all their defences. They know exactly where they are, where to go, you know, where to be and stuff and how to defend. You know what I mean? The advantage mm-hmm. is always to the defender in that scenario. And even more so when you've got a network of tunnels, you know. So it's not surprising. And it's also not surprising because these really have no experience of conflict. The average really soldier, again, a tank kill, he does is drive around the parking lot uh, now and again and shoot at um, clay pigeons or something. They have no experience of actual warfare, you know. Um, the generation that are yeah. that are native now have no experience of. of, of Nevertheless, kind
1: of, they are going to hammer Hamas, Al Qassam Brigades, whatever it's called. They're, they're, there's no victory here for Palestinians in Gaza.
0: Well, there's it, never it, been. It,
1: it's it's a resilience, it's resistance, it's defensive, but the odds are definitely against them. Even if they, you know, score. PR are victories, which will mainly have the effect of shaking morale in inside Israel itself. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the point there of most people calling for peace, mind you.
0: No. Um, um, do you want to... I mean, you, I know you don't like Jordan Peterson anymore, if you ever did.
1: What? <laughs> No, I represent Israel, remember? I love Jordan Oh, Peterson. that's right. Sorry.
0: You do like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. Um, he was on, he, he blocked me on Twitter and a bunch of other people that I know he blocked on Twitter for saying boo to him, right? Because um, he's quite, he's spookable. He's a bit scary. He's scary. I mean, he's sensitive. Anyway, uh, so he blocked, he's been blocking a lot of people who say anything to him about something, one, one tweet in particular uh, a few weeks ago, which was give him hell. He tweeted to Netanyahu when Israel started its bombing Gaza. Give him hell. So he lost a lot of Muslim people and a lot of ordinary people in Western countries as well. He thought he was better than that, whatever. But and, but he's a victim of his own kind of overinflated intellect, sense of his intellect or, or intellect. Yeah, uh, That only only works in certain situations, apparently, uh, because when it becomes emotional, there's emotional considerations or emotional understanding or whatever you want to call it or another way of looking at it rather than just pure intellect. Um, he misses out. Anyway, so he was on Piers Morgan to after the dust had settled and he had recovered. He, uh, he, he, he makes he, Piers Morgan sound reasonable. Yeah, which is weird. You know? So there's a few excerpts I'd just like to kind of um, from that interview I'd like to just like that you have listened to and because illustrative because the thing is Jordan Peterson isn't he just popped out of nowhere really with the with the woke you no. know uh, enforced speech and transgender stuff 2016 he popped out of nowhere and he um and he had some good advice for young men and that kind of stuff pick up your damn burden and we'll get back to that in a minute pick up your damn burden show some you know just stop being a victim basically he's one of these people everybody oh, like everybody i know who talks about any of this, are all on, on on the kind of side that I was on, although the sides have been shifting a lot over the past 10 or 15 years. I don't know which side I'm on anymore. But on the side that I would have been on over the past five or six years, everybody I know who's on that side have all, their main thing has always been, the thing they gravitated to was the idea of people in a victimhood mentality. Mm-hmm. And how when you're in a victimhood mentality, you get angry at anybody who's better than you and you want to take them down. And that can be... And you become and
1: fixated on identity politics.
0: Right. Identity politics. We're all victims together. And and that can be at the level of just local people that you... Or groups that you don't like to an entire society-wide thing. That's the whole, you know, the radical lefty Marxist want to take down the patriarchal Western social system because it's all evil. Ruin it all. And the, so they've all been like, that's terrible. These people... And I'm like, yeah, that's not a good idea. Don't wreck things, you know. But every one of those people, hap- so almost literally every single one of them happens to be <laughs> in this current conflict pro-Israel, which is totally weird. Anyway, but I think I don't know why. Anyway, just play that, uh, and I'll tell you when to stop.
3: No, I think Iran is desperate because of the tenuous hold on power that the mullahs now have in Iran, given their own citizens' rebellion. I think they see the Abraham Accords, which were the most significant step forward towards peace in the Middle East for like 75 years, they see the Abraham Accords as an existential threat. This is a last-ditch attempt by the Iranian mullahs to use the Islam against Jews story to prop up their own dismal reign. Okay. And so
1: what citizens' rebellion in Iran? I missed that. When did that happen? Well, you know, it was in the Western media about protests in Iran. When? Which? Oh, yeah, okay, a couple of years ago, yeah. There were protests because some girl was... Allegedly... Allegedly killed. Killed by the morality police. But, but in, in fact, the end she, wasn't she had fainted and there was
0: CCTV footage showing that she fainted. Yeah. So he, or he, collapse of a stroke, maybe a so vaccine or something. Right. So the reason we're talking about John Peterson here is because, like I said, he came out in 2016. He has no history in, in in of watching the world or understanding geopolitics or anything like that. He started off, as, obviously he spent most of his years as a psychologist dealing with people's personal problems. And then he pops up with this, you know, uh, compelled speech and woke left mob and all that kind of stuff. And um, so it's, I thought it was interesting that he comes new to it, and this and already his take is well, his take is interesting. You know what I mean? It seems to be very much aligned with the uh, the the American perspective, basically the dominant Western narrative about Israel and Palestine it seems to be pretty much. Um, mm. But he tries to be reasoned about it. He tries to understand it. You know, and it's just interesting how. Even when you, even when you, someone like him tries to understand what's actually going on, he still gets it totally wrong. You know what I mean? Um, because he doesn't understand the depth of the deception. He doesn't understand the history, most importantly. Anyway, so he thinks that Iran is desperate because it's quote unquote tenuous hold on power, and and citizens' rebellions. Blah blah blah. blah. So the Iranian regime is teetering, teetering supposedly, and that these Abraham Accords what we mentioned last week, uh, were the most significant step towards peace in the Middle East for seven and a half years, and the Iranians hate that, because they hate peace in the Middle East, because, well, they see it as an existential existential threat, um, because the Abraham Accords would have made peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia, and that would have, and, and other Arab countries, and then sidelined Iran. And Iran would no longer have influence, because of the Abraham Accords. And if we, as we showed last week in Netanyahu, three weeks before the mm. October 7th, at the, at the UN showing this, this pathway to, to peace via the Abraham Accords, which was primarily, it was very similar to China's One Belt, One Road, mm-hmm. except a challenge to China's One Belt, One Road, effectively, uh, an alternative to it. Um, so anyway, um, that's his first hot take uh, it ignores the fact that there has been there have been polls, like fairly objective polls, showing that a majority of Iranians approve of their government. That doesn't matter, Jordan Peterson, apparently. Um, and also that the Ukrainian, Iranian economy is set to... There's good prospects for the Iranian economy. It's set to grow 2% or 2.3%, whatever. So the whole idea that Iran is either socially or, or politically or economically in some kind of like danger zone and they're about to collapse is is it's just false so and he doesn't realize that you know um anyway he just follow, i think he follows on here um what's something similar go ahead
3: and so they rattled the chain of their hamas puppets and so provoke and they did and their hope is that the Israeli response will be so overwhelming that the Arab world turns against them and maybe even the people who might be inclined to, you know, be swayed by a victim narrative in the West and that the Abraham Accords will fall apart and and that'll be the end of that. And that could happen and I'm hoping it won't because okay. I think the Abraham Accords were... Stop. You know, and it, it's, irritating it's irritating to me. Stop
0: there. It's irritating to me. Yeah, He's kind of more irritating to me. Anything else right now. Um, So apparently Iran rattled the chain of their Hamas puppets and, and, and said, provoke. And Hamas provoked. Yes, sir. And their hope, because there's no agency on the part of Hamas, the Palestinian people, in fact, as you'll see later, he goes on, we'll talk about that in a minute anyway, <laughs> he goes on about the Palestinians and Hamas. He says, and the, the the Iranian hope is that the Israeli response will be so overwhelming that the Arab world turns against them. Israel. Mm-hmm. So Jordan Peterson apparently can figure this out. I don't know—he's getting this from CNN or he's getting it from some of his billionaire friends that he's been hanging out with, or Ben Shapiro or whoever, or Netanyahu himself, who he, he talked with. Um, so if all these people, Jordan Peterson knows, knows this. So if this is the dominant narrative, then if they all know that the point here was for that—that that it was a situation where Iran was provoking Hamas. Iran, Iran was telling Hamas, rattling the chains, you know, hey, slave, <coughs> yeah. go get me some stuff. Uh, and Hamas said, yes, master, and went and did it, and did the provoking. And and the whole point of Iran doing that was that um, the Israeli response would be so overwhelming that the whole Arab world would turn against them. Surely the Israelis really would have went, hang on, that sounds like a trap, right? Right. We shouldn't We shouldn't do what we did. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have the overwhelming response, right? hmm or is this just Jordan's personal theory? I'm pretty sure he has no personal theories about this because, like I said, he's a noob. He-, he, he doesn't realize it, but he's just
1: been made himself guilty of unconscious racism. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. Implied in his description there is his disappointment that the provoca- provocation of Israel worked because he's unconsciously aware that Israel would react the way it did massively disproportionately and that's what mm-hmm. he's sad about. Oh, if only Hamas had not listened to Iran and provoked Israel, Israel might have been a bit calmer because I know, I'm aware, that Israel is a bit of a beast when it comes to abusing Palestinians.
0: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's, it's implied. There's unconscious, uh, unconscious racism, yeah. he needs a mentor to tell him when he's being racist.
1: But the, the, that, that, is, that is patently false that Iran controls Hamas. It's just a horseshit. If it the only way the only kind of links everyone knows this. I mean, this is easy to find out. It's on Wikipedia for God's sake. Even there, is not controlled, they can't excise that. Hamas's formation is obviously originally Israeli in part. Yeah. In part, yeah. right? It's the co-option. Supporting. It's the co-option of the resistance. It's the way they always do it. Mm-hmm. The, Amer- the Americans and the Brits did it in Iraq. You co-opt the resistance mm-hmm. and you turn it into something else, a sectarian mm-hmm. war or whatever, mm-hmm. a holy war. The, but
0: do it, emotionally so, to understand that. It's
1: so farcical that...
0: That's too scary a concept. When Syria
1: kicked off, the Hamas leadership, the political leadership of Hamas, because that it, it is, in fact, a political... It's like Sinn Féin, whereas the military wing is al Qassam brigades, whatever. Hamas leadership. There's two guys... I forget the names. The one with the the beard. Um, He's got one hell of a story. Anyway, at the time when Syria kicked off, they were in Syria. That's where they were uh, basically um, political refugees. Just like in the old days, Arafat was in Lebanon at one point. Well, when Syria kicked off, they were there. And they left there for Qatar Mm -hmm. and changed their tune they now announced that Hamas would be politically aligned with the Syrian rebels mm. to overthrow the Assad government. Mm-hmm. The Assad government that's aligned with, if anyone has chains hanging out back to Tehran, yeah. it's the Assad government. So right there, Hamas was orthogonal to the directives and the wishes of Tehran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, since, that's since, you know, been paved over because in part the rest of the Arab world, the Arab League welcomed Assad back into the fray. Syria is ne- Syria as uh, mm-hmm. Bashar al-Assad's country is now back in the Arab League and yeah. Saudi Arabia has paved all that over. But at the time the alliances went directly the opposite yeah. way that the Peterson's plan. The whole,
0: the whole idea that Hamas is somehow, I mean I know it was supported, it's Matter of record that it was supported by the Israelis as as opposition to the PLO, the more moderate PLO, because the Israelis didn't want a moderate Palestinian authority, because they would be able to put themselves. They forward. wanted a
1: religious one.
0: They wanted a hardline religious one,
1: not a secular one.
0: Yes, not a nationalist one. Right, and one that would, would Hamas would,
1: means Islamic fighters right. or jihad or something.
0: Right. The PLO was too was too would put forward a, too much of a coherent. Strategy, and they would have really been seen as the victims, and you know, so they needed someone who was going to fight back, or a group that was going to fight back, and to represent the Palestinians, so that they could you know, could periodically attack Israel. They know they'll attack Israel, so then Israel can t- continue to to you know deal with this Palestinian problem in a, in a military way. Because the worst the worst case for, for for Israel is that is any push, and we've seen that over the years, any push towards peace. Was always a horrible, horrible idea. For uh, I mean, they, they, they somebody murdered Yitzhak Rabin for signing the uh, the Oslo Accord. Yeah. Um, so Israel never wanted peace because peace means some kind of a, a Palestinian state. And Israel, the, the the hardliners and the people who dominate Israeli politics and have have done forever, never wanted any kind of peace with Palestinians that would end in um, a Palestinian state, which was a just solution. They've never wanted it, and they and they the best way to ensure that they never have a Palestinian state in Israel is to have the Palestinians represented by someone who they can present as a group that wants Israel wiped off the face of the earth, that itself doesn't want peace. So they're projecting it, basically. They're, they're they're projecting onto or creating a, a Palestinian authority that actually serves the Israeli agenda of never having to live with a Palestinian state because they can justify never having any peace with the Palestinians because the Palestinians keep attacking us. But what if the Palestinians don't attack us anymore? What if they stop attacking us? What are we going to do? There's a serious danger there of some kind of a international pressure push towards a Palestinian state. So we have to stop that happening at all costs. We need an attractable enemy that never goes away and we can pitch as a terrorist. That's why we support Hamas. That... But it's, it gets, that doesn't mean that Hamas is, everything Hamas does is, is directed by the by Mossad or the, the Bet or, or, or the IDF. No. the Israeli government. It can be shaped, though. It can be shaped. But the bottom line is, in the position that the Palestinians have been in for 80 years, armed conflict, given their, their, the attitude of the Israelis towards them, armed, armed conflict is always going to be the outcome because Israel leaves no other possibility. Yeah. Um, so Hamas might not, don't represent all the Palestinians, there's divided opinions in Palestine, but you know what, there's a uniformity in the vast majority of the Palestinian people is that Israel is an aggressor state that stole our land and keeps us in, in, as second-class citizens in an apartheid state, and we are fully entitled to resist that by whatever means necessary, under international law. Yeah. They all agree with that. And so what's it between that and what Hamas is doing? Anyway, uh, there's something else Peterson waffled on about here. Uh...
3: I've always regarded Jews as the canary in the coal mine, and I think the reason that the Jews are the canary in the coal mine is because they're a successful minority. You know, and if a, if a culture can tolerate a successful minority, it's pretty damn robust and it's not very resentful. And as soon as a culture starts to get resentful, the Jews make an easy target because they 're a minority, and so well, that 's an easy target to begin with, but then they 're the minority that has the temerity to be successful, and that really brings the resentful out of the rat holes oh, and i 've seen that. a rise in anti
0: i 've seen rise so the, the, the problem, Define here with, the, problem success. the problem here with Peterson is that he 's taking his thirty years of research as a psychiatrist analyzing individuals yeah. who are from Snowflake generation who easily become resentful about they're not making an impact in their job and they get angry and, and getting they get jealous of those who do succeed and they, and they want to bring it all down and they join the patriarchy the anti-patriarchy cause and all that kind of and stuff and he's putting and it he's, through
1: his Cain enabled dichotomy He's projecting and he it
0: onto a situation like Israel Palestine and he's basically saying that. <laughs> He's basically, you know, it's, it's it's funny in a certain sense that yes. he thinks he can take the, like, individual dynamics from one person that he sees repeatedly. Uh, SJWs on the campus back in right, Toronto. Right, snowflakes. And
1: say, you Palestinians are behaving like these Toronto snowflakes. Exactly.
0: Fuck off. I really? I mean, talk about ignorance. Um, and he's, you know, it's like, so he always regard Jews as the canary in the coal mine because the, they're a successful minority. So he, it's just, you know, he thinks this is like... They're kind of like the patriarchy, you know? Uh, they're seen as a patriarchy uh, by Palestinians. So, yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, the Palestinians are social justice warriors, snowflakes, and Israel is the Western patriarchy. And Hence
1: the meme yeah. of Peterson talking to the Palestinian kid who's just lost his family. Clean up your room and
0: buckle. Right, right. Pick up your damn burden. Don't yeah. be so resentful. What have you got to be resentful about? I know life is hard, you know? Sure, that bomb that just obliterated all of your family and left you as, a, as an only child. Um. No. Not, not only an only child, but an injured child. There's, there's, a new, there's a new kind of phrase that the... That the a new acronym. An that, acronym. That doctors in the Gaza are using. Chi- is it injured child? Oh, I can't remember. IC, no surviving family. IC, NSF or something like that, which yeah. is injured child, no surviving family. Oh, and they're seeing mo- like hundreds. They had
1: to invent the category. It didn't exist before this.
0: So, So to a child that just had, you know, maybe 20 or even 30 members of their extended family like all of them and this child is like five years old and every last member of their, extend, their immediate and extended family has just been killed by Israel Jordan says to that child you know don't be so resentful Yeah, just pick up your damn burden clean up your room and go and get a job and try and contribute to society and don't be so jealous of Israelis and Don't be really a, don't be jealous just of them. because they were successful just because they were successful at bombing you you know and they didn't suffer. You know. It's just... just,
1: just It's so ignorant. Isn't it's, it? It's so ignorant. He's such an ignoramus. It would just take a cursory, cursory scrolling of Twitter. Someone posted them, um, posted a side-by-side. There's footage from like the 1930s or something, or 20s, of Palestinian Jews. Interesting term, no? So these were Jews who actually lived in... Palestine, Mandate Palestine and before that Ottoman Empire Palestine they really did live there for generations millennia maybe maybe it goes all the way back they're called Palestinian Jews, they're still there so they took the footage and then there's a screen switch and there's modern footage of the the descendants of those Jews in Jerusalem, Palestine they still live in kind of slums it is quite ghetto like and you know how the Israeli state treats them just as much like the dirt they treat the Palestinian Arabs. There's no difference. They come in, they beat the shit up. Maybe they don't kill them to the same kind of numbers that they, they single out for Arabs mm. and Muslims, but they are treated like dirt. They, they, right there, you've blown up the, the, the religious thing on it. Is Obviously, religion is being used in this situation, but he's taking it as the actual core basis for this, mm. that Iran is trying to provoke... Interreligious conflict, but Jordan, if you spent just half a day cursing cur- cursory scroll through Twitter or researching, whatever, you'd be aware that there was there were Palestinian Jews before, and mm-hmm. that still to this day they're treated like shit mm-hmm. by the Israeli state
2: mm-hmm.
1: because the, because invariably they those people those Palestinian Jews have affinity for there are other fellow people who were here before mm-hmm. and these bloody newcomers are coming in
2: mm-hmm.
1: with their psychopathic mindset and their totally charged belief in birthright mm-hmm. in God's chosen people mm-hmm. you know in our right to this land mm-hmm. and uh, it's like it's as alien to the original Palestinian Jews as it is to the, the Palestinian Car-Calsan, Arabs yeah yeah go
0: ahead
3: patient now And now we're playing it out the hard way, you know, because the Iranians could win the propaganda war and they've got, God only knows how many agents they have in the West, you know, promoting the kind of social upheaval that we've seen on the streets in the last few weeks. Oh, is that, where's he getting,
0: where's he getting this information (laughs) He's, I mean, he's talking like, who is he talking like? He's talking like a a, CNN. Press TV is banned in Europe. He's talking like a CNN anchor, isn't you know? And God knows how many agents Iran has in the West, you know, promoting the kind of social upheaval that we've seen in the streets in the last few weeks. Who, what, Iran, So Iran is behind, what, Black Lives Matter now and what, what the transgender movement? Isn't that, wasn't that the Russians? Wasn't it the Russians who had that plan? Some guy, some former KGB agent had moved to America and he's on a yeah. video saying that the whole plan was to spread cultural Marxism in America, to bring America down, to destroy America from the inside. Right. That was the whole Russian plan. And, and every took that and said, see, this is the outplaying of this, this social justice kind of business is, is exactly that. It's a KGB long-term Soviet plan to destroy America from the inside. But apparently now it's Iran. It's anybody. I, it's anybody I want it to be. Yeah, Iran's doing it. Who, who's next? I don't know. The, the Houthis. It's those Houthis. They're spreading their agents in He's America.
1: not unique in this. You, you, we've seen Nigel Farage in the UK and others. I know. They're looking at the tens and up to 100,000 people or more gather in London, Washington, New York, major cities they're seeing the sea of palestinian flags and cafes and so on and they're saying oh my god well those people all those people
0: are like migrants who've arrived controlled by iran how inane do you have to be i mean your head is up your ass how for not yours theirs Uh, oh god they're ignorant. They're massively ignorant people. They do not live in the real world. They don't even live a normal life. They haven't, even, they haven't lived normally over the past 20, 30 years of their lives in terms of paying attention to what actually happened. Every single time, over the past 20 years at least, if not and, and longer, since the second Intifada, at least, but before it, any time, and there's been like probably a dozen major, event, major uh, times when Israel attacked Palestinians, on every single one of those occasions, There were large protests, pro-Palestinian protests, anti-Israel, anti-occupation protests in the streets of every single capital in Europe. Not Mm -hmm. so much in America, but a little bit in America, but mostly in... And they were all made up of indigenous white Europeans primarily. Of course, there were some immigrants or people from Palestine or from the Middle East who identified with the Palestinian cause, etc. But the vast majority of people were all indigenous yeah. white people. And they've done it every single time Israel has launched an attack in Gaza. They've been out in the streets in large numbers, waving Palestinian flags. For 20 years, on at least 10 or 15 different occasions, where were those people when that was happening? Did they fail to recognize that these people were your neighbors who were simply taking a stand against the brutalization of an innocent people in Palestine? That they had no connection with but simply recognise uh, a massively unequal conflict where one side is getting horribly abused by the other and knowing that the, the governments of the country they lived in, in Western Europe, supported Israel. So they were out to support the Palestinians. They've done it every single time. And surprise, surprise, lo and behold, when Israel launches its biggest ever massacre of Palestinians, the same people come out in the streets. And more. For the 20th yeah, the But more same, because it's big, on bigger the scale. The same people come out in the streets. But suddenly now those, those people have suddenly been transformed into just off the boat immigrants, transgender, social justice warrior, anti-patriarchy, feminist, radical feminist, Marxist. That's it. That's all they are. Yeah. The people who have only really existed from Peterson's perspective over the, for about five or six years, they only came on the scene five or six years ago. That's why Peterson came on the scene. These social justice warrior, Marxist types came on the scene. They somehow have suddenly overtaken a long-standing pro-Palestinian movement within European European cities. And that's all it is now. The two are exactly the same. Anybody who supports Palestine is a radical Marxist social justice warrior, snowflake, transgender, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, just off the boat immigrant. That's yeah, that's what they're claiming. That's Even what they all are.
1: You zoom in on the the footage or the photos they use to highlight that.
0: Yeah, and it's all white people or mostly. I know the same the same as always. So these people are Peterson who have that take, and, and lots of others. They're just their their ignorance just I, staggering. I can't I, I, I can't I, believe that they're not disingenuous. I can't believe that they don't know that they're lying. It's it's worrying because
1: whatever they thought about it before, if they ever noticed it before. What they're doing now is they're othering their neighbors, mm-hmm. their own. They're othering them. Um, literally just say, just saying seeing the sea of protesters and going, you know, they're not – they don't belong in our country. It's got to the point where political leaders in Europe are now comfortable calling for mass deportations. Mm-hmm. Now that'll be of the migrants, but in the United States, I think what, did Trump do it as well? No, DeSantis did it. Um, anyone who's caught at a pro Palestine march can be deported if if they're if they're not uh, an American citizen or something like that. But th- that's one step to actually going othering actual American citizens, your fellow white neighbors, and so on. Yeah, it's. It's it's quite crazy what's happened but what this speaks to is that this d- d- did not just appear suddenly this month or m- maybe you you were arguing other, otherwise with me last night there
0: were no transgender people no social justice warriors no radical feminists no what do they call themselves fem what's that radical feminist group there were no naked women showing their boobs or People with pride flags in dog collars and gimp suits at any of the pro-Palestinian marches over the past 20 years. This is the first time that they're at them or we're being told that they're at them. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? Have what? You,
1: these current protests, have you seen anything like that?
0: No, but that's what I'm saying the media is portraying. Right. And all of the pundits are saying that this is what it is. Right. This is what pro-Palestinianism is. In in Western Europe, pro-Palestinian marches are radical lefty snowflakes, social justice wire, bury your boobs, uh, dog collars, and uh, tear down the patriarchy and destroy all the statues and uh, pull it all down, destroy everything. None of those ideas have had anything to do ever with any pro-Palestinian march up until today. Fact. And they don't today either, but we're being told they are, to demonize pro-Palestinian marchers and the pro-Palestinian cause. Anybody who says, like you just said, they want to kick you out of the country if you're pro-Palestinian. And what does it mean to be pro-Palestinian? I'm not pro-Palestinian. I'm anti-slaughter of innocent people. Is that an anti-democratic value? Is that an anti-Western value? Apparently, yeah. To be against the slaughter of innocent people?
1: That's what the patriarch is saying now. Um, I'm worried about this thing by Schultz, like maybe it's just virtue signaling but he he said it this week I want mass deportations of um, illegals this is kind of what the nativist white in Europe and the United States has wanted to hear from their leadership since 2015 Mm -hmm. he's gifting it to them now at least at the level of rhetoric and they're like yes This is it. This is, this is really like we could yet get the right wing backlash that they're all wishing for, Mm -hmm. but they don't understand, you know, they don't understand what it implies. It's going to apply a backlash against their ordinary people standing up just for the, just not, not even for anything idealistic, just the the basic, simple things. Um, Anyway, yeah, and and then in Germany, the the actual, I don't have. Um, you don't have it no. I have it in German. No, well, whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah it's not just to mention. The the, the um, opposition leader goes one further than Chancellor Scholz, and he says, um, not only does he support mass deportations of illegals, i.e., Muslims, because they're feeding, they're in this narrative, they're feeding into these anti-Semitic protests against Israel, right? He says, I want um, anyone coming into the country in the naturalization process to declare that they agree that Israel has a right to exist um, and to commit to Israel's security, quote, which is ultimately the raison d'etre of Germany. Hmm. anyone who does not sign this when they become a citizen or when they get residency in Germany or asylum has no place in Germany. you get some kind of genocide? It's like,
0: well, the, Holocaust guilt or something? The, is that what that the, is? The
1: right-wing nativists have finally got their wish or were on the cusp of it being offered to them, which is what they wanted all along. But the, ca- the catch is that it, it places brutal. Israeli...
0: Uh, they're really uh, you,
1: you can get everything you want, but Israeli nationalism is of what you're, you're, you're signing up for. Mm-hmm. Not German nationalism. Not America
0: first. It's, it's, it's you're signing you're signing up for xenophobia, which is what the nationalists and populists have always been accused of. They're xenophobic, they hate the other, they hate the, you know, the, the immigrant, whatever. When that's not the case, they simply don't want uh, a wholesale erosion of the, of the cultural values with which they've, that, that are part of our country and part of our identity. They don't want the erosion. It's just because I want to protect something doesn't mean I want to kill someone else or attack someone else. I want you to stop attacking me. But what it's been twisted into is that you have to, no, no, that's not enough. If you want to support your own natural, national, cultural kind of uh, values, and protect them you have to do it in the context of hating the other yeah hating any immigrants hating Palestinians hating anybody we want you to hate basically yeah. so you have to be you can not have this genuine heartfelt you know you know old time conservative cultural even Christian whatever Christian light whatever values you can't have that it has to be hate filled it yeah. has to be it has to be filled with hate for the other you have to be uh, you have to have a siege mentality um you have to be at war, basically, if not physically, in your mind, yeah. always, with someone else, with others. And that's what they want. And, and that's the deal uh, yeah, trying uh, to force
1: Ideally, them. the other would be it's Muslims, because Arabs, because Palestinians. Mm-hmm. It all is to do with lining up with Israel's yeah. needs.
0: Yeah, which is bizarre, that little country in the Middle East. What's that got to do with German values, really? Some Holocaust guilt maybe or something, but anyway, um, there's just one last thing I want, to, I want to subject you to, another piece of uh, Not from Peterson. wisdom from Peterson, and then, oh, no. then we'll be done. God, it's the suit, I can't stand the suit.
3: Said that you, but You know, your moral back is up because of the continual toll in civilians in Palestine, especially among people who, let's say, weren't even born when they first came to power. Uh. And so it's very difficult to look at that and see it as anything but unjust. But then it begs a whole other set of questions, too, doesn't it? It's like, nope. well, if your government is a totalitarian band of armed criminal thugs, what responsibility do you bear for that as as these subjected people? And, uh, you know, it's not like I know the answer to that, but... You know, I see in my own country, in Canada, that things are slipping and sliding in all sorts of pathological directions and people are letting it happen. And if you let that happen long enough, well, things get very, very bad, and they have got very, very bad in Palestine, and the answer to whatever tyranny Israel might be exerting over the Palestinians isn't for the Palestinians to exert even more tyranny over themselves, especially not in concert with a third party like Iran, who's perfectly willing to sacrifice them at any point. And so now, and then that question emerges, well, what responsibility do the Palestinians bear? Well, then I think we start to touch on more metaphysical issues. It's like, well, oh. the Palestinians, like all people, bear the responsibility to live in truth and to stand up to tyranny in their, in their deeds, their attention and their deeds and their actions. Because if you don't, you pay for that. And so do your children right? And then so do your grandchildren, and so do your great-grandchildren, and, you know, there seems to be something unjust in that, in that why did the children did suffer? And the biblical answer to that has always been, well, the children <laughs> suffer for the sins of their forefathers. And you might think, well, it's pretty unfair that the world is set up that way. It's like, hey, it might be unfair, but it is set up that way, and it does beg the question what responsibility do the people who are living under the thumb of totalitarians have for the fact that they're living under the thumb of totalitarians? And the answer isn't none.
1: Okay. Um. <laughs> this is like the white man's burden. This is, this is exactly 19th century rhetoric yeah. that, that they use for the scramble of Africa. Yeah. Like what burden... Do, half of the population is under 18. So what responsibility do you have for your leadership? Hmm. You're talking to minors right there. Secondly, Mm. you're lecturing down. You're you're punching down, as they say. You're lecturing down at people whose suffering is quite unparalleled in any other situation in the world. That's why this relatively small country, countries, two of them, gets so much global attention. It's so stark. It stands out because the suffering is so high. And he's suggesting to them that they're not gleaning the right lessons Mm -hmm. from their suffering.
0: Mm -hmm which is that they're being made to suffer by Hamas. he says, but it begs a whole well, other he, did, he says He
1: did equivocate. He said, well, if there's some tyranny, whatever tyranny of the Israelis are imposing, what about the tyranny from within?
0: But that's what he, that's what he went on about, right? So whatever, um, uh, whatever tyranny Israel might be exerting over the Palestinians, isn't for Palestinian. the answer isn't for Palestinians who exert more tyranny over themselves, especially not in concert with a third party like Iran. So, who's perfectly willing to sacrifice them at any point. But his main point there was that, um, it begs a whole, lot, a whole set of other questions about, you know, uh, about if you weren't born when this all started and stuff. It's like, well, if your government is a totalitarian band of armed criminal thugs, that's Hamas. Mm-hmm. What responsibility do you bear for, for that as he subjected people? Uh, already an assumption there that they're a band of armed criminal thugs who are just out for themselves, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's not like I know the answer to that, duh, you don't know the answer to a lot of things. But, you know, I see in my own country I'm saying there's moral equivalency between the truckers' protest in Canada, because things are slipping and sliding in all sorts of pathological directions, and what's happening in Gaza, right? So the truckers having their bank accounts frozen is the same as being bombed to fucking smithereens by, by Israeli really, really jets, right? Um Whatever tyranny might be exerted in the past isn't for the Palestinians to resort more. And he says it's like it's like while the Palestinians, like all people, bear responsibility to live in truth and to stand up to tyranny in their deeds, their attention and their deeds and their actions. Uh, because if you don't, you pay for that, and so do your children and your grandchildren. So, so he's kind of saying that his whole point here is that the whole problem here is that Palestinians are living under the tyranny of Hamas, and it's Hamas that are tyrannizing them indirectly by attacking Israel. So he's basically taking away any agency or any support from the vast majority of Palestinians in Gaza for uh, any group amongst them or themselves taking up weapon taking up arms against Israel. The actual tyranny, that is the tyrannical state that is imposing the suffering upon them. You know what I mean? It's so pathological the way, it's just, it's, well, it's par- paramoralistic.
2: It's
0: nuts. And he says, he, he's like, yeah, well, what, resp- what, what responsibility do the Palestinians bear for being blown up by Israeli jets? You know, obviously they, it's their fault. For for starting this, because he's going with October 7th. Being yeah.
1: Everything was relatively stable, and then they just started no, it this out but of that's, nowhere.
0: I don't know why we're talking about him, because he obviously is clu- massively clueless about it. But it's, I just thought it was interesting, because he seen, it's, it's kind of like the the dominant pro-Israeli narrative light, in a certain sense, with mm. a little bit of attempted nuance. No, it's, at good, it's good that we hear him
1: articulate, because, yeah. Hmm. But that, that, um, that, that, there's a lot of people who think like just, that the, the core problem they have is that they assume Israel is just like Toronto, just like England, just mm, like France. Mm-hmm. It's not. Pathway, Listen yeah. to Gideon Levy. He's an Israeli journalist. He worked for Haaretz for years. I think he's still there. He says, He says Israel is not a normal country. Mm-hmm. He says almost all Israelis... Literally, see the Palestinians as
0: subhuman, and themselves as a chosen people, and uh, the yeah. same as per- secular themselves- or religious doesn't matter, and themselves as perennial victims. He says, which is obviously true. A yeah. Peterson. Peterson should be all over that. They shit.
1: are the, the the the. You could not have a better case study for perennial victims. ZJ, ZJWs, That's what I call them. Zionist justice warriors. They are, and the but they don't see it, or they've been co-opted or polarized or whatever. And they're projecting onto something that is totally unreal. It's not the reality of, of that situation.
0: But we should probably, because this, here's an example, this is just, uh, this no more Peterson, but this is this kind of stuff that Peterson is subjected to. It's uh, I think it was done by a Daily Show, to its credit, but, because um, I think it was like John Oliver or something with a Daily Show. Anyway, I think you saw this already. Oh. But it's it's just, some, they put together a, a kind of montage of, Fox News reporting on, on and this is real m- Fox News reporting on the Gaza Gaza conflict um, and it's just they just overlay at the front of it like Fox News sports logo whatever have a listen it's, it's bizarre alright Fox and Friends starts right now Hey, this is going to be
3: an unbelievable day of news, so don't miss a minute. Israel against Gaza. Point out the power players going against Israel. You got the West Bank, you got Gaza, but there's other players in this region. So, let's break it down country by country. First off, look at this, Afghanistan. We know they're running for the hills because of the Taliban. Iran front and center. Egypt, Egypt is where they came up with the Muslim Brotherhood <laughs> that gave is... birth to all these Absolutely terrorists. gave birth to all of it. Let's back up and go over how it yeah, got started here by MI6. And who the <laughs> players are. First, let's look down. Outline, this is the size of Israel, roughly the size of New Jersey. What about Hezbollah? They're known as the gold standard of terror groups. Hamas is uh, Shia, I think Hezbollah... No, you're right. Uh, Hamas uh, is Sunni,
0: and then uh, Hezbollah comes up and says Shia. Syria comes up as... Uh, the they all love to kidnap, they all love to
3: kill, they all like to horrify people, <laughs> and they like to intimidate Sports, thank you for watching this presentation of the National Football League.
1: That's basically Jordan Peterson's... Yeah. Spiel there to Piers Morgan yeah. just in, you know, a few sound bites on Fox. It's the same central. it's it's mush for brains. It's yeah. It's so bad not even it's you, you can't even comment on it. Um
0: Anyway. Yeah, I can't count it anymore. Gold standard propaganda. That's the gold standard for terror groups. They're the gold standard. I think I like these guys this season. You know, uh, Hezbollah. I like them this season. My money's on them. I think they're going <laughs> to they're going to play a strong I think game. They're sunny,
1: no, no, you're right.
0: There she no, is. I like them even more than. because the Shias are always best. The she
1: and the sunny together. Well, whatever. They're usually against each other.
0: Anyway, my money's on those the, the, those the, on that uh, Hezbollah group this season. I've already put the bet down. I think they're going to come in strong. They're going to play a really smart, uh, intelligent game. Could be some stiff competition from uh, from the Saturdays, uh, but uh, ultimately I think the going are going to win it this season. So um, yeah, stay tuned.
1: Stay tuned. Here's Tom with the weather.
0: Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I've done. I'm done talking about this because uh, this. Well, this,
1: by the way, this is why the West is destroyed. It, it's these are Jordan Peterson's like the intellectual dark web. He's the best of us. This is why it's it's all going tits up. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what well, intellectuals...
0: Well, they well, they fail to understand what Peterson fails to understand, and all these people fail to understand about their Western culture. Because that's the thing that joins them all. All the conservatives in the UK and uh, in the US, uh, they're all pro-Israel and Peterson and his think tanks and all those kind of people and Shapiro and all those other little buddies that hang out and have these talks about pushing back against the woke mob and stuff, and preserving Western cultural values and culture and civilization and stuff, is they don't realize they don't understand, and in the process of doing that, they're demonizing members of Western society yeah. who are taking a moral stance, a very simple, plain moral stance against the slaughter of innocent people, and they're attacking those people and demonizing them, and in doing that, people like Peterson are, and the conservatives who supposedly want to uphold Western civilization or undermining it and destroying it because the foundation of any society, no society can can form and be a productive, successful society without a solid moral foundation. Mm. That's the bottom foundation, is moral. And if if that morality is twisted and distorted then it it will not stand, it will collapse. And right now, there's a very clear moral situation where Israel Israel has for the past uh, four weeks, every day, been slaughtering women and children and men. Uh, 4,000 children, and these people in the, uh, in, in the West, in the glorious, civilized, moral West, are looking at that and supporting the people who are doing the slaughtering. Yeah. And they think by doing that, they're protecting their own civilization. Yeah. They're actually undermining, think, it. undermining it and furthering its its decline. So, two men walk into a bar. Well, no, neither is a please. You think at least one of them would have ducked? That's true. Boom. Especially if one goes first. Exactly. Anyway, that's, uh, that's all uh, that's all the news that's fit to just watch and go, oh my God, do I really have to even comment on this? Is it not obvious? But apparently it's not obvious, at least to some people. Anyway.
1: Buckle up, people. It's going to be
0: wild. That's for sure. Rock and roll. Rocky and Roly. Yeah, anyway, so we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for watching, listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and commenting, and we'll be back next week with another one uh, on whatever, like I usually say, nonsense has been going on between now and then. So until then, stay safe and stay moral. Whatever. Bye. See you next week. Thanks for watching.
2: Can't stop the signal now.